Turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 19. Cadets, if you're using one of those light blue Bibles, it's page 9 in those Bibles. Genesis, chapter 19. Now, I've been teaching through the book of Genesis, and uh, just teaching it verse by verse. But Genesis 19, I thought was good for a main service today. There will be a little bit of teaching in it, but some lessons that are good for everybody here today, certainly. And uh, so a couple nuggets there that we're going to look at. But Genesis chapter 19, and let's go ahead and pray before we begin reading there. Lord, again, I thank you for bringing us in here today, and just pray that you would be in the preaching of your word and speak to hearts that your spirit would be here. And God, you've brought us here, but not by coincidence or by chance, and so I pray that you would bless, and God, feed everyone according to their individual needs. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 19, we've taught up to about verse 30. I'm going to cover the last part of the chapter today, but just to kind of give you the background, Genesis chapter 19, we have Lot, who is Abraham's son. Abraham, who was the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And his nephew, Lot, departed from him and was dwelling in Sodom, and there was Sodom and Gomorrah right there. And in the first part of the chapter, you see where they got destroyed. Now, some people say, well, you know, it's because God made a mistake. <laughs> no, God didn't make a mistake. It's because people chose to live in a way that was displeasing to God. You see, when we, when we transgress against God, it's not God's mistake. Oh, God made me this way. No, we have a free will. And sometimes we choose to do the things that are displeasing to God. And that's what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said that the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were uh, wick, uh, wicked and sinners exceedingly. And so he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but Lot was there. And Abraham prayed for his nephew Lot. And so God actually sent angels into Sodom to deliver Lot and his family out of Sodom before God destroyed them. And now we're at verse 30, where Lot and, and his family, at least what was left of his family, he did leave at least two daughters and some sons back in Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot and his two daughters and his wife come out of Sodom. And, of course, his wife, she looks back, uh, which God told them not to do, and she was turned to a pillar of salt. Now, in verse, in verse 30, <clears throat> we're at the point where Lot and his two daughters are going up and where they're going to stay, at least for a time, after uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, look at verse 29. It says, And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain. Because you remember when they came out, Lot besought the angels and he said, Can I dwell in Zoar? He said, I know it's a city, but isn't it a little one? He thought, you know, it's insignificant. Can I dwell there? And the angels allowed him. But then Lot leaves Zoar. It says in verse 30, And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. You say, why did he fear to dwell in Zoar? Isn't that where he wanted to go? Well, first of all, the Bible talks about the cities of the plain. And God didn't destroy just Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed other cities that were involved in some of the same sins that Sodom and Gomorrah were involved in. So God destroyed several cities. And, and Lot went into Zoar, so God didn't destroy Zoar. But you can imagine in the back of Lot's mind, he's thinking, yeah, I've seen this before. And I know God wanted to destroy Zoar, and he thought, eh, I'm not going to take my chances. So Lot feared to dwell in Zoar. He didn't want to stay there long, so he departed out of Zoar. It says, and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Now what we're going to read here is not a pleasant chapter of the Bible. 
you see some, some horrific things happen. And we learn in this chat, in this part of the chapter, we learn that there are some long-lasting consequences to our decisions. And in this case, to, to sin uh, in this situation, some long-lasting consequences to that. But there's a lesson at the end that I want us to get a hold of. So don't, don't lose me as we're teaching through this. And we're going to mention some other lessons that come in here, but the end is what I want to focus on. Now let's keep reading. So this is Lot and his two daughters. So that's all there is. There's the dad and his two daughters. It says, And the firstborn, the firstborn daughter, the oldest one, said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. So what they're saying, they said, You know what? <laughs> the, the city that we lived in, that they grew up probably most of their life in, was destroyed. Everybody they knew was destroyed, and they said, You know what? There's, there is no man. There, we're going to die spinsters. We're going to die old maids. We're never going to get married. We're never going to have kids. Now, why ever this thought came into their mind, they said, maybe this was just a justification, but the eldest, she said, there is not a man in all the earth to come in unto us. In other words, we're never going to have children. We're never going to get married because everybody's dead. God killed everybody. Now, that wasn't true. There were still a lot of people in a lot of cities, even in that, that river plain that ran from, from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, there were still a lot of cities and people and inhabitants in that land. But sometimes when we get in a situation, we go to extremes and we tend to embellish. You ever told the, the account from your point of view and you, you always twist it to, to, <laughs> to your benefit? That's what they're doing here. They're making it look as if they didn't have a choice, that this was, this was all they could do. And so the firstborn, talking to her younger sister, she says, uh, Come, verse 32, and let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And you say, is that what I think it is? Yes, it is. Now, the Bible, Bible is written in such a way that it's appropriate for, for all audiences. But if she's trying to convince her younger daughter. She said, let's get dad drunk, that we can lie with him, and we can have children by our father to, pre to preserve seed of our father. Thinking about the lineage. You know, dad doesn't have any sons left alive, and we got to preserve our father's name. So coming up almost with a justification and not just wanting to do it herself, she tries to get her sister involved. You say, why? Because misery loves company. Whenever you go out to do something wrong, sometimes you do it by yourself, but sometimes you, you like to take somebody with you. If I'm going to get in trouble, I want so-and-so to get in trouble with me. And I don't know why, but so many times it's the elder sibling trying to convince the younger sibling. How many of you have an older brother or sister in here? Okay? And how many of you, that older brother or sister, tried to convince you to do something that wasn't right? Yeah. How many of you are like, no, you go first and then I'll come in. Yeah. If you're the, how many of you are the older sibling in here? And how many of you tried to convince a younger sibling to do so? Yeah. See, that's exactly how it goes. Now, I was the youngest in my family. I had three older sisters, so they didn't try to convince. I, I did enough wrong on my own. Um, they didn't have to convince me. But so many times you see that and that's what's happening here. The old, elder sister, and we never hear their names. Their names are not mentioned in the Bible. But the older sister is like, hey, here's an idea I got. Let's, let's, you know, tries to convince her younger sister to do the same thing. And that's because misery loves company. You know, in Proverbs, it talks about that, that to, to, you know, that we ought to stay away from it. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked. So the younger sister should have just said, no way. <laughs> If you're going to do that, I'm not going to have any part of it. But it says, and go not in the way of evil men. And then one of the greatest verses of advice in the Bible, Proverbs 4.15, it says, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. 
In other words, if there is something you know that you have a problem with, drinking, drugs, pornography, whatever it might be, don't go in an area where you're going to be tempted by that. He said, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. But so many times, misery loves company. And then it goes on in verse 16 of Proverbs chapter 4. It says, for they, who's they? Those that are trying to convince you to do wrong. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Just saying that they, they want other people to be involved with them. Now back in Genesis, the daughter here, the firstborn, says, Our father is old, and there is not a man in, in the earth, which is a lie. But whenever we sin, we lie to ourselves to convince ourselves to do whatever we know is wrong. You have to lie to yourself in some way saying, It's going to be fun. I'm going to be better off. It'll be okay. Whatever the lie is, we oftentimes lie to ourselves about sin to convince ourselves how we're going to be better off because of it. So that's what she's doing here. She says, for there is not a man in the earth to come in after us, after the manner of all the earth. Come and let us make our father drink wine, get him drunk, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Now, this is pretty common. You say what? The drunkenness and the, the sexual sin or the fleshly sin. Because this happened, you think about Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they took of the forbidden fruit. Now, the Bible doesn't say exp expressly what that fruit was, but when you research forbidden fruit, fruit through the Bible, what is the one forbidden fruit in the Bible? What's that? Grapes. Grapes are a forbidden fruit in the Bible. And that grapes, that's what's involved with making wine. And you see that happen with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. Noah became drunk after the flood, and his son Ham went in unto him. And there was a, some sort of carnal sin that was involved there with Noah and his son Ham. And because of that, Ham and his, his uh, relations, the Canaanites, were cursed throughout their generations. And that was that wine and drunkenness shows up through the Bible. Now, anybody that grew up in, <clears throat> you know, maybe a non-Christian home, if I can put it that way, you're well aware of the association between uh, alcohol and drunkenness and, and nakedness. In fact, in Habakkuk chapter 2, I won't have you turn there. I'll read these to you for sake of time. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. See, the Bible's got our number. He knows, it, it knows our intentions and what, what our nature will lead us to. And it said, Woe unto him that giveth thy neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, uh, that thou, you know, to get him drunk, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. That is exactly what's happening here in Genesis chapter 19. The daughter said, if we can get dad drunk, and we can get him you know, where he's not thinking correctly, or he's so drunk that he doesn't even realize what's going on, and then we can commit the sin that we want to commit. That's what the daughters are doing. He said, that is awful. Yes, I agree. That is awful. And that, that is a bad situation. And even in Lamentations later on, or actually Leviticus chapter 18, it talks about when one goes to near of kin to lie with them, that it's an abomination. God, God did not condone incest. He didn't condone that in the Bible. It was wrong throughout the Bible, but that is what happened. Now, everything in the Bible that's recorded doesn't mean everything in here is true. But there are some sins recorded in here, not because God condones them, but he records them for our admonition, for our learning. Now, that's where we are in Genesis chapter 19. You say, I don't like that chapter. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm getting to a point here in all of this. So kind of, kind of bear with me. <clears throat> so there's the wine and the nakedness. And my question is, is what was the rush? Here's these two girls that 
earlier on in the chapter, we find out that they had never been married. So they had never been married. I don't know what age they were. Um, and now, all of a sudden, they, they're like, we have to get, we have, to have children. Because <laughs> there's no other man to come in into us. Now, I know there's a lot of young gals in here, single gals, that you probably want to have children someday. Maybe you want to be married someday. But don't rush it, okay? It's okay to just take things nice and slow. Listen, I remember being in high school, and I don't know why. This is not the typical, probably, teenage mentality. But in high school, at like 16, 17, 18 years old, I was thinking, I'm ready to get married. I can handle this. (laughs) I know you're laughing because you're like, at 18? Now, I got married at 20, which even then I'm thinking, okay, 20. Yep, I'm an adult. (laughs) 20 is young to get married. Now, I don't know what age all of you got married. Some of you got married younger than that, and some of you older than that. It's different for every situation, but I'm just saying, don't rush into it. If, if, if the Lord will, just take your time in that thing. They were rushing into this, and you're going to see that there were huge percussions that, that, that spanned generations, hundreds and hundreds of years, because of what happened in Genesis chapter 19. Now, that could happen to any one of us. You could be making a decision in your life, that could affect generations of families. Long after you're gone, it could be affecting uh, your family for for years and years to come. And I've seen this, I don't don't know why, maybe it's been around before, but I've seen this term that people talk about called generational curses. Haven't you heard of that? And for some reason, I've heard of it more recently than before. Generational curses. You say, what's that talking about? Well, whether you like it or not, the, the tendency that Somebody that comes from an alcoholic home, even though they might hate and despise that, the tendency, the statistics show, and this is apart from God, that they will tend to be an alcoholic. Somebody that comes from an abusive home, if they, or if they've been abused you know, by a parent, that the tendency is they will be an abusive person also. That's a generational curse. Um, and I don't like that necessarily, but the statistics show that. And so what we see here in Genesis chapter 19, because of this one Actually, two nights of bad decisions that they make in Genesis chapter 19. It affects not only their history, but the history of Israel and thousands and thousands and thousands of people for hundreds of years to come. Now look in Genesis chapter 19 again. Verse 33. It says, And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose, because he was drunk. And it came to pass, verse 34, on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father, let us make him drink wine this night also. And go thou in and lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Now people are like, ah, well, why was Lot drunk twice in 48 hours? Why Why would he be deceived one night and let it happen again the second night? Now, I don't know, but think about what Lot had been through in the last two days, three days. <laughs> Lot had had his city destroyed. He lost his wife. He lost at least two sons and at least two daughters. So Lot getting drunk, he might have been drowning his sorrows. And I'm not justifying that. I'm just saying it's a little easier to see how that happened to Lot in that situation. So they made their father drink wine that night also, verse 35. <clears throat> and they lay with him. Verse 36, it says, Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. So they got, both got pregnant by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger 
She also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami. The same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So there was two sons born. Now we do get the names of these sons. Um, there was the Moab, and then there's Benami, which is the father of the Ammonites. So these two sons actually had, in a sense, a whole people group that uh, arose after them. So they became not necessarily great nations, but they became whole people groups from this, this bad relationship. And look at what happened. Now I talked about that it was a generational curse. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, page 182 in those light blue Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 11. Now 1 Kings chapter 11, let me get you a number here, <clears throat> thinking about this. So Genesis chapter 19 happened in about, about 1900 years before Christ was born. When we come up to 1 Kings chapter 11, it's almost 1,000 years later. Almost 1,000 years later. So it's been a thousand years since Genesis chapter 19 and 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, But King Solomon, now this was a king of Israel. This is after Israel has become, uh, come into the, the promised land. All of that has, a lot of history has gone, gone by in the past thousand years. And Solomon, the son of David, is becoming king in Israel. It says, And King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the, what? Moabites. Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. And it says there, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. The Moabites and the Ammonites, even a thousand years later, were causing problems for Solomon. Now Solomon was wrong in what he was doing, but those nations stole Solomon. The king of Israel stole his heart away. And part of that was the Moabites and the Ammonites. Over almost a thousand years later, from Genesis chapter 19, you see the Moabites and the Ammonites still showing up and stole Solomon's heart away. Turn to Nehemiah, page, uh, chapter 13. That's page 255. Not too far from 1 Kings, but Nehemiah, chapter 13. Nehemiah, chapter 13. <clears throat> So the Moabites and the Ammonites show up in Israel's history over and over and over again. From that two nights, rather, but this one situation in Genesis chapter 19. And they don't show up as the friends. Even though they are distant cousins to all the nation of Israel, they show up as their enemies over and over and over again. Nehemiah chapter 13, and it references Solomon here again in Nehemiah chapter 13. And look down at verse 25, Nehemiah 13 and verse 25. And he says there, and I contented with them, and this is the prophet, and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish, and that means outside of the land of Israel, did outlandish women cause to sin. And part of that was the Moabites and the Ammonites, affecting King Solomon years and years later. And this, in Nehemiah, it's 434 B.C., so about 1,400 years after Genesis chapter 19. They're still talking about some of the effects of Genesis chapter 19. 1,400 years later. Over in Numbers chapter 22, we won't go there, but there was a man named Balak. He was the king of Moab, Balak. 
And he didn't like Israel because Israel was growing and getting bigger and bigger. And he says, you know what? I'm going to have Balaam, the prophet, curse Israel for me. And Balak, the king of Moab, trying to curse Israel. And that was in Numbers chapter 22. And it happens again in Judges chapter 13, the Moabites and the Ammonites coming against them. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23, page 105. I know we're kind of covering a lot of history here this morning, but there's a purpose to it. Deuteronomy chapter 25, or 23, excuse me, page 105. Deuteronomy 23, and I want to look at verse, eh, look at verse 3. It says, an Ammonite, so this is God speaking to Israel, some of the the, the regulations, the rules, all that. He says an Ammonite or a Moabite. He specified those two, which were of the relations of Genesis chapter 19. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their 10th generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. <laughs> and there was that, that was as a direct result of Genesis chapter 19. You say, what, what does all this have to do with anything? Because there are people... And it could be many people in here. <clears throat> you say, man, I'm cursed. I was born to the wrong family. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. God can't use me. I am hopeless because of my situation, because of society, because of what has happened to me. Now, I'm not saying that everything that's fallen out to your life, that has happened in your life, is because of you or a choice you made. There are things that happen unto us that we have nothing to do with. <laughs> and we don't know why they happen unto us. And I can't tell you why God allowed it to happen. But I can tell you, you may have been through some things that you say, this, this absolutely has ruined my life and I don't have a choice and I can't go on for God because of this and this and this and this. That's how the children of Ammon and Moab must have felt like. But turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, page, or chapter 1 actually, page 457. Matthew chapter 1. Because we could cover all the places where Moab and Ammon show up and where they're fighting against Israel, where they are the enemies of Israel and the people of Moab and Ammon. Because they were such great enemies to Israel, they weren't even allowed to come into the, the temple or the congregation of Israel uh, unto the 10th generation forever. You say, that is pretty harsh. <laughs> and if someone had a curse like that upon them, you'd say, why try? <laughs> but you see, God has given us this thing called free will. And that free will gives us the choice to make our own decisions. Now, everybody sitting here today, again, you may have had, maybe you say, I don't want to be associated with my family, born into the wrong family. You might be thinking that. You might say, you, I've had some things in my past that happened to me that I just can't get over. That may be true. But everybody sitting here today, you're at least of the age, or I'd say everybody, you know, probably over about 12, 13 years old, your choices are your own. You have an intelligence. You have the thinking capacity that you can make your own choices. Now, guided by your parents, if you're still at home, things like that. But you can make your own choices, and you're going to stand responsible for the choices you make. And the, the choices you make can guide your life one way or another. Now, if you were born into the family of the Ammonites, or you're born into the family of Moabites, you're probably taught. Israel's the enemy. Israel's the enemy. Have nothing to do with Israel. Man, it's, it's bad. They don't like us. We don't like them. That's just the way it is. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way. The things that have happened unto you don't define who you are. Your past, even though it, it has an effect upon you, 
Your past does not define your future. You may be have affected by your past, affected by family, affected by generational curses, things like that, but you are the one that makes the decisions for where you're going from here on out. And we see that clearly from what happened in Genesis chapter 19. You say, how? Well, look at Matthew chapter 1, page 457, if you turn there. Matthew chapter 1, and this chapter is talking about a genealogy and lineage. Okay, and it talks about the generations. In fact, look at verse 1. It says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so he's going down here and looking at all the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now look down at verse 5. It says, and Salmon begat Boaz, that's, or Boaz, it says Boaz in the Old Testament, of Rahab. That means Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of Hur, that had been the wife of Urias. Now you may not realize it, but in those two verses, there is adultery, there's incest, there's murder, there's betrayal. <laughs> you say in the lineage of, of Jesus Christ, it's all over in there, just in those two verses. Look at verse 5 again. It says, And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. Now that Rahab, that's, that's Rahab. <clears throat> now Rahab, we're not going to cover her, but in Joshua, I think chapter 2, is where Rahab shows up. And if you've been in this church for very long, you're already thinking the last part of her name that we usually say, Rahab the what? Harlot. Rahab was a prostitute. And she was one of the enemies of Israel. She lived in the city of Jericho that was a cursed city. And Joshua and Israel came in to conquer Jericho. We know that we know the story about that. And Rahab, Rahab could have said, you know, I, I'm with the people that's an enemy of Israel. I'm a prostitute. And that's something that's, that's spoken against in, in, in God's word. She could have said, I'm hopeless. I'm just going to be wiped out. It's not what Rahab did. Rahab chose God. She chose to side with the people of God. You say, what happened? God spared Rahab's house. And she became part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. A prostitute. She's right there in verse 5. And it says, And Boaz, Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. You say, who was Ruth? Over in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, or chapter 1, we'll not turn there. But Ruth was of a different nation. And in, in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 22, it calls her Ruth the what? The Moabitess. From Genesis, <laughs> Genesis chapter 19. She could have said, you know, I've been cursed. I've been born into the wrong family. But Ruth didn't choose that path for her life. Ruth said, I'm going to choose the people of God. She ended up marrying an Israelite. And when he died, Ruth could have said, I'm going to go back to my own people. But she didn't. She chose to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi, even though she was of Moab. And knowing that going back to Israel, because Ruth and her mother-in-law went back to Israel, knowing that she may have been looked down upon because of who she was, because of where she came from, because of her heritage, because of her family, because of her name, because of where she was born. And Ruth said, it doesn't matter. I'm choosing to do what's right. I'm choosing the Lord. And Ruth was part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you say, my, my situation's hopeless. <laughs> no, it's not. It wasn't for Ruth. It wasn't for Rahab. See, God, our God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth. He's a God that's merciful and willing to forgive. And though we mess up, and sometimes it's not 
because of what we've done, maybe because of our family, sometimes because of choices we made, but regardless, we might have things in our past that we say we're a hopeless case for God. Well, not according to the Bible. Somebody that came from an incestuous situation and was an enemy of the people of God. And over and over again, and here's Ruth that became part of the lineage, a great-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. Because Ruth's son was Jesse. Jesse, one of his sons, was David, King David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, and that Jesus Christ was called the son of David many times in the New Testament. And yet he had the lineage of Ruth the Moabitess. You say, oh, but she was an enemy. She chose not to be. She chose to go with God. Now, regardless of what's happened in your life, I know some people that have had some horrible things happen in their life. That doesn't define your future. Some people say, I'm a hopeless situation, not with God. Yeah, maybe in man's eyes, but you can choose the Lord and he can change you altogether. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, Ruth being a Moabite, it didn't matter. She would still be able to be in the lineage of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that came to die for the sins of the whole world, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And yet in his lineage was a prostitute, was a Moabitess. You say, all from this bad situation. You say, nothing good could come from this situation. And I'm not saying, let's, let's sin that good may come. Paul said, God forbid that we say that. But God, the Bible says, God causeth the wrath of man to praise him. He can take a bad situation, and if you choose to follow him, he can turn that into something good. If you're willing to give your heart and your life over to Christ, he can take it and make something good out of it. The Bible says, Christ said, without me, ye can do nothing. And yes, we're still going to make bad decisions, but when you make the choice to follow the Lord, it makes all the difference. And we see that from Genesis chapter 19. Christ came and died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day to purchase our sins or to purchase salvation from our sins. He made the payment for our sins on that cross over 2,000 years ago. And he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Don't be held down and bound by what you think is your past. Even though those things affect you, they are part of who you are, but they don't define who you can be in Jesus Christ. God can take and change all of that for the better if you're willing to trust him. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, trusting Christ doesn't mean getting in this baptismal here and getting baptized. That's not what it means. Trusting Christ doesn't mean putting money in the offering plate. It doesn't mean taking the Lord's Supper or communion. Trusting Christ is something you do in your heart. Every one of us have people that we trust, all right? And maybe it was through experience or whatever it might be, but that trust wasn't some kind of physical transaction. It's what you do in your heart. And when you trust Christ, you're saying, Lord, I'm putting the keeping of my life, my soul, my eternity in Christ's hands. And I'm not trusting in good works or in anything that I have done. The Bible says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And all through the Bible... You see these people, when they choose to follow God, God puts their life on a different path. He did it for for Rahab, a prostitute, Rahab the harlot. He did it for Ruth, a Moabitess, that came from a horrible background that really had nothing good going for her in that sense, other than that she chose to go with the people of God. 
and every one of us has that choice today. You can either accept Christ or you can reject him. And there's no middle ground. Jesus Christ said, he that is not with me is against me. So by, by not accepting Christ, he sees it as rejecting Christ. So I'm telling you, you can choose today to make a difference in your life by accepting Jesus Christ. But the choice is up to you. I can't make that choice. Your parents or nobody else in this room can make the choice for anybody. You have to make that choice yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, it's kind of a bright spot in a very dark situation. And Lord, I'd help